Welcome to the Flying Solo Podcast, a show for those going it alone in business. I'm your host, Robert Gerrish. Flying Solo is an Australian online community and home to stacks of free resources, discussion forums, professional development tools, and a whole lot more. Find us at flyingsolo.com.au or join us on Facebook. My guest is Paul Jones of Magneto Communications, a writing training business and the co-founder of the soon-to-take-the-world-by-storm, credocity.com, a revolutionary virtual writing coach. He's also an experienced copywriter for well over 15 years. We're going to talk about how to apply the science of persuasion in your marketing. Hello, Paul. Hello, how are you? Oh, I'm very good, I'm very good. Look, it's great to have you here. Yeah, now thanks then, very much for inviting me. Oh, always a pleasure to talk with you. Now, uh, we are having a look at this, um, this whole issue of the science of persuasion. Now, I know this is something that um, you're, a, you're a great advocate of and you've studied it and use it a great deal in your work. And I know that in time we get, or in, shortly we're going to go through the, the three steps. But perhaps just to get things kind of kicked off, can you just tell us in a nutshell... What is the science of persuasion? Well, of course, it's a, got a long and varied history. Uh, Aristotle, two and a half thousand years ago, talked about ethos, logos, and pathos. So the, uh, the three things that you need to have to be able to persuade someone. Uh, ethos is the character of the person who's doing the persuading. You've got to be able to trust them. Uh, logos is the strength of their argument. Uh, and uh, pathos is, you know, uh, how, how much emotion they, how, I suppose emotions are contagious. So, what, you know, how much emotion the person uh, is transferring, how uh, believable they are in, in that sense. And, uh, you know, if someone's trying to sell you something, if they're really flat about it, then it's, you're not really going to be very much persuaded by it. Hmm. So, it's the self belief in the, in the uh, speaker as well. Okay, so Aristotle kicked it all off, and then I know that um, there's a, a very famous book that uh, that you follow, and that uh, I must admit I've devoured as well. What's the title of that one? So uh, Robert Cialdini, C I A L D I N I, PhD in this whole field, and uh, he's a researcher, and a bunch of his uh, cohorts decided to research this whole field of, of influence, and uh, basically came up with six universal principles of influence. Uh, so, and we, we'll, I'll, I'll take you through some of those today and how you can apply those to your business writing. Okay, fantastic. So his book was, is called Influence the Psychology of Persuasion. So what we're going to do now, I think, Paul, is go through these six steps. And obviously, we'll be coming, you'll be coming, I know, from a, um, the perspective of a writer. But I guess for all of, all of our listeners, this is really um, some, some strategies to make your marketing more effective, be that in your writing or in how you speak or in how you present. So um, let's, without further ado, why don't we just kind of dive straight off. And I know also, not to preempt too much, but at the end of this podcast, uh, you've got a generous offer to share a, a report that you've put together of all this so people can listen and uh, not worry too much about taking notes because there's a, an awesome download at the end. So, okay, let's go. Okay, beautiful. All right, so uh, Cialdini's principles, they, there are six of them, and you mentioned that there were three things to go through, and there really are kind of are three things to go through. The three big steps of influencing people that you can consider here um, are around building relationship first, and then and there's two steps under that, and then two steps under uh, dealing with uncertainty. If someone feels uncertain about you or your, you know, your message, your company or whatever, uh, then you can 
plug in those two steps and the final two are around getting action, kicking people over the edge where they're, they're kind of, they're about to go and then you just give them a little nudge and they, and they end up doing or saying or, you know, uh, agreeing to whatever you're hopefully putting forward to them. So mm. the first two around uh, building relationship and I suppose we can't really start talking about influence before we just just take a step back and go, okay, the, these principles are my my uh, PDF that I'm going to be making available to your soloists is called Incognito Influence. So I called it that because these principles are really many of them are sort of under the radar influence principles that if you apply, you can. Uh, People often don't process it that consciously, and they find themselves going one way, and then you sort of apply certain things from these this this little toolbox, and then they find themselves going oh, and they kind of change direction, and uh, mm. and not really consciously process why. <clears throat> so I suppose right up front, let's just say you know be ethical. There's no point in in uh, it needs to be a win-win essentially. Of course, of course. You're, if you're going to build your business, it's got to be a win-win over okay, the long term. Okay, so what? Term. But what you're saying there in the in the use of incognito is that these are sort of tried and tested. Um, means of persuasion that you can kind of weave into your your dialogue, be that written or verbal or whatever, um, that people don't even kind of realise it's going on, but it's it, it's proven methods that 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 reassure people and that lead people to what we're all after, which is you know a sale at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, you also need to know what the principles are because you could be uncon- you know, maybe unconsciously actually doing the opposite of them and mm. really putting people off and not knowing why you're not getting the sales because you've actually been doing the opposite of what these things are. And, you know, the, these things are just basically our tapes. Childini tells a wonderful story in his book about the mother turkey, how she's a fantastic mum and – uh, and 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 to to her chicks, but if a, if a turkey chick is born that can't cheep, then it it might often die because it's the cheeping of the chicks that triggers her maternal tapes, and of mm. course people have the same sort of tapes as well, uh, and and you need to know what these are so that you can trigger them, and also be aware of someone else is triggering, uh, trying to trigger your tapes. You can kind of go, hang on, oh, I know what you're trying to do, and you've got some, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, a better perspective on things. Okay, all right, yeah. brilliant. Okay, Off we go. so. The first one, in terms of relationship, uh, Cialdini talks about liking. It's it's pretty much a no-brainer that that if uh, if 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 someone likes you, uh, it's much easier for you to influence them. On a college campus, there were a uh, uh, some charity collectors going around, and they found they could double their donations by simply saying, "I'm a student too." So we really like this similarity mm. aspect, and if you can make yourself seem similar to your readers. Uh, then that's a smart thing. You, they, they're going to like you more. The more rapport being built, maybe even subconsciously. So you want to seem similar. You don't want to seem uh, like, uh, you know, uh, I, I was running a, a course uh, for a, a bank in Melbourne recently and in the break, we were all standing around and, and the manager of the group was on the team, was was on the course and uh, he, uh, one of his uh, uh, new kind of graduates was there in our little talking conversation and his whole body language, his, all of his vo- you know, voice mannerisms was all very submissive, very, very, very much inferior. Mm. And of course, you don't want that if you're a soloist out there. You need to get ha- some respect from your clients and, and have them feel like you're on the same sort of level. So I suppose around that uh, one aspect of, that you see with uh, people in small business sometimes is they're chasing. They have this smell of desperation and I know you've mm. talked about that yourself with uh, with marketing. Yep. What do you call it? Knee-jerk marketing? Uh, binge marketing. Binge marketing, yes. right. Yeah, so um, 
you have to have your eye on the pipeline the whole time and not find yourself in a situation where you are desperate. And if you are desperate, you can't afford to come across as desperate because it's, you know, it's an evolutionary uh, uh, makeup that we are des- we're, we're basically, you know, it's deep within us to run away from things that chase us. Mm. So if someone's chasing you for business, it makes you sort of want to run, run away, away from that. You, you need to be positioning yourself as helping, serving, and, you know, Hey, I don't care if you take it or leave it. It's a whole reverse psychology mm. thing, isn't it? Yeah, and I guess look, I, I guess the other side of that as well is is uh, <clears throat> is people can sometimes be too much the other way, where they're they're too aloof or they're too mm. distant or they're a bit arrogant. Yes. You know, sometimes people establish themselves as an expert and and put themselves on a pedestal that is actually hugely mm. counterproductive. So, mm. so what mm. you're saying here is the first thing is. Is is to to enable people to kind of like us more, is get to their level, speak on their terms, be friendly and approachable. Is kind of what you're saying. Yeah, yeah I think it's the it's that balance, isn't it, of having mm. that uh, being, seeming approachable, seeming that you want to serve them, but you're not not desperate for their work. You know, you don't absolutely have to have this this sale come across the mm. line. So in terms of liking, practical things that people can do in their writing would be to, uh, you know, I guess around attitude, make sure they, that the, the soloist really has the reader's best interest at heart and try to make it, um, you know, a, a win-win. Uh, thinking about relationship, not a one-night stand, uh, not trying to get people over the line too quickly, but to be, uh, uh, you know, be patient and, and um, you know, trying to build that relationship. So there's, it's, it's all about trust, isn't it? If there's mm. no trust, there's no sale going to be had at the end of the day fantastic um, okay well that gets us yeah. off to a nice solid start so where do we go to okay. next all right so um then the second step would be around uh, uh children calls it reciprocity so it's really the power of give and take and and uh, uh you know if someone what his research showed was that if you give something to someone uh people have a deep need within them to pay you back it's the whole concept of the favor bank. Mm. Not many people are comfortable with the idea of a free ride. They always want to feel like that it's been even Stephen. So, uh, you know, this can help to build relationships. If you keep an eye out for your readers, for um, uh, uh, things that might be useful for them, if you come across, you know, a blog post, you think, oh, Frank at whatever company would really, really, you know, enjoy that. And so you just flick it to them and, and say, hey, I thought, you'd, you know, thought mm-hmm. this might help you. And uh, so it, with reciprocity, Another aspect of it is concessions, which is quite useful for soloists, that if someone makes a concession to you, it's perceived, uh, it can be perceived as a favor. So if you ask someone for a meeting to, you know, maybe a business development sort of meeting, uh, and they say no, you, at, that, at that moment, you have a small window of power to be able to, to say, okay, well, how about a phone call? Right. Coming back with something smaller is perceived on the other by the other party as the fact that you've made a concession to them, which is like a favour. So they're more likely to say yes to the phone call than if you had have just come up right at the start and asked for a phone call, because mm. you've got that that little window. That's a great point, and I think having you know, and that's a good example that you use there, because you know, for a number of people working by themselves, you know, getting a meeting with someone can be a challenge. But um, what you're saying there, I think, is to get is to, when you get into that conversation, is to is to be prepared. So if if you don't get the you know the, the main prize, then mm. what's your kind of your second one? Yeah, um, have a backup plan. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, okay. yeah. Cialdini tells us this. Uh, well, actually, it wasn't in the book, but it's in, somewhere else in the research. It says that the researchers were asking people in a town said, "Look, there's this juvenile delinquent centre. Uh, would you be prepared to uh, take the, some of the inmates from that centre to the zoo for a day?" Only 17% of people said yes. Um, 
and uh, but when they first said, would you be prepared to go uh, and take these people uh, from the juvenile delinquent centre for two hours a week for two years for some, some sort of activity? Mm. And people, almost everyone said no to that. Right. And then they followed up with a zoo for the day question. Half of the people said yes to it. Versus 17% for the first one. Versus so 17% when they were just asked as their as a one and only question. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So concessions are pretty big. So, mm. yeah, it, it, that, that can be quite useful as well. Fantastic. Um, and in terms of how we've applied that uh, in our business and, and with reciprocity, we, uh, we've often found quite a lot of success in inviting um, uh, people, like especially learning and development decision makers, on our courses. Uh, it's free. It's like the course is worth, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, $600-odd. Mm -hmm. But um, when they come along and they love it, uh, then it's led to a heap of other business for us. So. Mm. The, the thing with reciprocity when you give something like that is it needs to be uh, significant, unexpected, and personalized. And when that's the case, it's perceived as quite a big favor. Yeah. And I, look, I think there's certain, and I'm sure we could we could fill a whole podcast discussion on, on this point alone, but I guess there's a distinction as well between um, kind of giving things away to people versus just bombarding them with stacks of free stuff. Like, you know, this shouldn't translate yes. to, oh, I think I'll send everyone I know my, you know, 48 megabyte PDF, um, <laughs> you know, because they'll love me. Uh, it doesn't yeah. work like that, does it? But I think what yeah, you're, yeah. you're saying it needs to be thought through and considered and, and that's yeah. wonderful. Okay, next mm. point. Okay, so that's that's kind of those two steps, uh, uh, liking and reciprocity are around trying to build some relationship and getting some feeling of trust going between the parties. Mm. Then people are maybe thinking of, you know, maybe sort of uncertain about it. They kind of like you uh, and, and, and they're starting to trust you, but they're a little bit uncertain. So some other steps you can consider from the influence research are around uh, what's called social proof and authority. Right. So social proof is this thing where, you know, people, humans, when they're uncertain about what to do in a situation, will look around at what other humans are doing. It's kind of like a no-brainer. Yeah. You know, we just tend to look at what other people are doing. So, uh, so you know, and obviously the way that's used in, in uh, writing, you know, testimonials. Uh, if you have a client uh, as a soloist, then asking someone for a testimonial can be quite powerful. Number one, mm. you can use it uh, on your site. Uh, your website, your promotional uh, material or whatever um, in your proposals. Uh, but also the act of someone writing a testimonial is is really generating this uh, this this more of a belief in them in you. So the fact is that they they you know with with this stuff that it needs to be um, uh, uh, they're, they're kind of making it a, a, a commitment hmm. and and in terms of the next one, uh, one of the other ones we're going to talk about commitment and consistency, uh, the the commitment needs to be voluntary, active and um, uh, something else right. so. <laughs> but I think that the whole point of testimonials so for this social proof um, voluntary active and uh, public and that's what a testimonial okay. is yeah of course yeah. and I guess the thing is you know if we'd have had this conversation 10 years ago we wouldn't have, have had any of the kind of um, facilities that are available to us now to quite readily generate um, those testimonials, whether it's via LinkedIn or whether it's comments on Facebook, um, mm -hmm. or even I saw someone recently who just took tiny little uh, sort of one-minute videos on their smartphone of customers, mm. just saying, "Oh, that was a great job. I had such a wonderful. It was a cafe, I think, actually. Um, you know, wonderful lunch, gorgeous cafe. Nice. You know, it takes no time. Do it on a smartphone. Upload it to your website. Yeah, yeah. Social proof, right there. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Okay. So, yeah. 
testimonials, case studies, big names of companies you've, you've, you've worked for. Do you think you have many people who are just starting out? Or of course, most, of course. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we yeah. haven't uh, last okay, number so yet. For things like that, when you are just starting out, you can consider leveraging your existing contacts or friends. Maybe they work for a big company and you can get, get them to agree to writing a testimonial for you. Uh, or you know, um, even when you are right at the very start, maybe you could uh, even do a job for free or even quite cheaply, mm. mainly for the testimonial. If it's yeah. not a big job, then that can be quite worth it if you get a big name that you can – a big logo, you know uh, – uh, cred that sure. you can use would be quite useful yeah no that's a great point and i think you know, there's often this discussion and we see it a lot in the forums about mm. um you know when it's right to give stuff away well um and that's again another whole discussion but i think one thing we can do and i certainly did it when years ago when i started my coaching business i was saying look i would love to coach you and i'd love to coach you for nothing all i ask is at the end of it will you give me some feedback and would you consider giving <laughs> me a testimonial if you're if you're satisfied with what i do yeah, absolutely. enormously successful and so yes. valuable. Okay. Yeah, 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 brilliant. And so, in terms of these days, that we'll move on to the next one shortly. Mm. But the um, uh, you know LinkedIn, especially LinkedIn mm. is if you're not on LinkedIn, you're nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got to be there, and you know the people can be endorsing you for your your thing, your your skills or whatever. Um, so make sure your LinkedIn profile is really pumped up and looks good, is written well, is very classy. So that's another element, of course, of social proof. So the next one in terms of dealing with uncertainty is authority. And this is a big one, uh, of course, for soloists. And doing several things to make sure that you're not undermining your authority and that you're actually building your authority. So uh, an interesting experiment, they had um, uh, researchers at a street corner dressed in plain clothes. And when the light was red saying, don't cross the road, uh, when there were no cars coming, the researchers would start walking, you know, a single researcher, guy, actor, whatever, would start walking across the road and they'd count how many people would follow him or her. Mm-hmm. And when the guy was in a suit, 350% more people followed him across the road <laughs> because the suit is a symbol of authority. So it's a really big thing to, uh, to building cred and, and to making people feel you know, reassured that, you know, you're, you're the guy, you're the girl who can... Who can uh, you know? Who know, who is the expert here? Mm. So now, just be careful. There's there's a you know num- many hundreds of people listening to this now that are just throwing things at their computer. Probably, saying, I'm not going to wear a suit. What are you kidding? Um, so it <laughs> exactly it doesn't have to be literal, does it? But what you're saying is here is is uh, maybe what might be some other examples of authority that are not quite so. Um, yeah, look, uh, of course, uh, people who have left big corporate jobs to go and work in their slippers at home don't want to have to wear a suit, mm. but. But it's still worth knowing that people do take cues uh, from your trappings. Yep. You know, uh, if you if you walk in and you look like a slob, and you you know have a bit of a smell about you, and you haven't shaved in <laughs> ten days, and you probably haven't shaved for ten days, Robert. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> then it, it just people start. It, people make snap judgments, and you yeah, just can't okay. escape that. They do. So. It's all about thinking. If I was them, what 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 sort of person would I be more likely to trust? Mm. What, what sort of person would be more likely to come across as an as as an expert? And sometimes, actually, dressing down a little bit positions you more as, as an authority because you don't have to. It looks like you don't, you don't have to, have to try up. so hard. Yeah, yeah. And I but guess maybe you, uh, a suit without a tie on. It's just it's just open neck shirt, and you kind of look like oh, I'm kind of relaxed. I'm a super successful person, so I don't need to wear a tie. Mm. And yeah. sh- and I guess authority also shows up, of course, in. Uh, our business logo in our positioning Absolutely. of our business yes. in in you know our business sort of fronts up to the world in a, in a variety of guises and sometimes many businesses operate without anybody ever actually meeting the person behind it but mm. the business itself can still have um, a high degree of authority it just needs to 
It always makes me laugh when I, I see someone who's um, starting a new business and wanting to work at you know maybe in the big end of town and and then they hand me a you know a business card that they very obviously got printed for nothing and <laughs> and designed by their you know sort of twelve year old son or something. It, it, yeah. it doesn't work, does it? So authority, no. authority is so yeah. important. Fantastic. So you're thinking about your branding, your LinkedIn profile, your you know we spend about. Um, I don't know, uh, uh, two grand and maybe six months developing our new website and all the logos and, and we've got these beautiful pencil shaving rocket things going on and it, this looks really classy. We've had a lot of great feedback and uh, it's just like you know an instant sort of hit of, oh, ooh, these guys look like they they know what they're doing and, mm. and they're established and, and it's all very attractive. So it comes back to the liking idea yeah. as well. well. We'll all go and have a look at that later <laughs> and let you know whether we agree with you. But I think you know, what I also have seen is uh, with people, you know, some people have an MBA but you wouldn't know they've got an MBA mm. or they've got a PhD or they've got a master's in something or other. And I'm not saying blab it out like put it on your T-shirt or anything, but having a small uh, discreet sort of lettering on your email signature or on your business card, letting people know elements of your authority can be a really smart thing. And in, in, in copywriting, the whole philosophy of Magneto is to apply copywriting principles uh, of engagement, persuasion, all that to business writing. So mm. in copywriting, you're always thinking, what is the straw that's going to break the camel's back? You want to layer up as much stuff as you can to give the best chance of someone saying yes. Yep. You just increase the odds of people saying yes. So that's important around branding and, and experience. Maybe you've been in the business for 20 years or something. Well, let them, let them know somehow. Yep. You know, don't just hide it under a, a bushel, going yep. biblical. And yeah. the other thing is around tone, um, mm. how people say stuff. Uh, you know, getting away from that desperation idea, but getting into just a, a self um, self belief and confidence from where you're coming from. Mm. So, you know, instead of saying something like, uh, um, you know, would you like to learn more about what we offer? Just sort of having a, what in sales they call an assumed close, and um, you know. Uh, Probably the next best step would be to meet so I can learn more about your needs and see how we can help. How about three o'clock on Tuesday okay. or something like that? Yep. You know, just an assumed sort so of so more confidence in 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 your uh, your own sort of status and position. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Lovely. Yeah. Cool. Where to next? This is wonderful stuff. Okay. So the final two steps are around, then around getting action. You've walked someone up to the cliff edge they want to jump you want them to jump and they often don't <laughs> hang jump. on this is the client we're talking about <laughs> well they want to jump into your arms and oh get all okay your good oh stuff. you're standing yeah. at the bottom then are you that's it that's it all right uh, all the joys of working with you are at the bottom of that cliff so um so <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and you live at vaucluse don't you with uh, there's lots of cliffs there, yeah don't, don't let's yeah, go there no, carry no, on no, carry no, on no. so commitment and consistency is another mm. big one that Cialdini found with his research uh, if a commitment is public, voluntary, and active, as I mentioned before, then it's uh, people are more likely to want to remain consistent with that. So, uh, in in one experiment, the Cancer Society uh, sent researchers out into a town and said, "Look, you know, just doing some social research here. Please just predict for us what would happen if someone came and asked you to collect money for the Cancer Society." And people with no strings attached just went, "Oh, yeah, of course I would. I'm a very community-minded person." But then two weeks later, uh, people did go and ask them if they'd collect money for 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 cancer. Uh, and what they found was a 700% increase with those people who'd said yes in advance uh, compared to those who hadn't. So that's a massive increase, 700%, mm. uh, because we, they'd already made a bit of a commitment and felt obliged or maybe their self-image changes in the interim and, and so that you get, you get more people saying yes. So in terms of people writing uh, as a soloist, think about trying to get uh, uh, 
someone you you know making a small offer that is easy to say yes to uh and maybe and then later on they're more likely to say yes to something big so they're kind of making a commitment to you and thinking about you as as a supplier then and and them as your customer rather than uh you know you know we've got to make this big big sale yes or no so small thing could that um could that translate then to um, you know, almost as a level where the first thing that they're sort of giving to you is their email address, say to sign up for your newsletter or something. So that's the first step. And then once, right you, once you've got them there, then what you're saying is there's the chances are there's not only obviously a great opportunity to constantly and consistently and regularly grow your relationship with them, mm. but then you're saying that there's a there's a sort of slight propensity that because they've already given you that, that to move from that to perhaps committing some money towards a small product or a yeah. small service is also eased. Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. So yes, just small, 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 and uh, and I, and the other thing to think about with this is that future commitments are easier to get than present commitments. So a nice thing to do in a group of with a group of people in the room is to say, you know, would you like to have thirty dollars now or thirty three dollars tomorrow? Hmm. And most people say, oh, I'll take the 30 bucks now. But then if you say, what would you rather now? Would you rather have $30 in seven days or $33 in eight days? And most people then go, well, it's only an extra day to wait, so I would go $33 in eight days. But it's actually, you've, you've completely contradicted what, what you've said the first time. Hmm. So you said $30 the first time, but then you said 33 the second time, and there's no actual difference in it. So future commitments, and, and uh, in one experiment I found out about, they asked people to, uh, uh, to, to estimate how much of a foul drink they'd be prepared to drink for science. And people for themselves said, I'd, I'd drink about... Um, I think it was I'd drink uh, a half a cup. And uh, then they said, well, how much do you think that other people in the group here today should be prepared to drink? And they said, well, about three quarters of a cup. (laughs) (laughs) But then they said, in a month's time, how much do you think other people should be prepared to drink? And they said, oh, about three quarters of a cup. And in a month's time, how much would you be prepared to drink? And they said, three quarters of a cup. So in other words, we think of ourselves in the future as, as different to how we think of ourselves now. So that's why people make a commitment in six months in advance to run a marathon. And then when the day comes up, they go, oh, my God, I can't believe I actually said I'd do that. So uh, this is, you know, it's easier to get people to commit in advance rather than, you know, commit late. Mm, I'm so going to try this with my son who's on school holidays shortly with his pocket money. I'll I'll let you know how I go. (laughs) All right, that's fantastic. So was that the last point on? on, No, the last point then is around scarcity and everyone knows about this that that, uh, if things are scarce – in short supply, we want them more. This is something that's one of our tapes, like the turkey mother. It's yeah. it's you know one of our ta- tapes that gets triggered. So, um, in one experiment, they had. When you uh, say, two- just sorry, Paul, to stop you there. When you say one of our tapes, in other words, one of the the kind of thought processes that just keeps wearing around in our minds. It's kind of it's natural behaviour. It's how we think. That's, that's what it. you mean when you say yeah, tapes. And we're and... often, yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, like the, the maternal tapes of the mother turkey were triggered by the turkey cheeping, the, chi- the chicks cheeping, and other things that trigger our tapes are scarcity, uh, you know, okay. just automatic reactions that we don't really consciously process quite often. Gotcha. If something's in short supply, we just naturally go, oh, it just seems more attractive now. Hmm. When you're dating someone who is aloof and a little bit, yeah, maybe they're kind of, you know, non-committal, you really go. want yeah. them more. Yeah. But if they're all over you like a rash, then you kind of go, ah, they're not so attractive now. Mm. They're in, in great supply. So 
Yeah, uh, Cellini tells a story about uh, two groups of students. One one group had to walk up to a cookie jar that had 10 cookies in it and they had to rate the cookies for taste, flavour and texture and the average rating with 10 cookies in the jar was about maybe um, 6 yeah. out of 10. And then for a second group with only two cookies in the jar, they'd walk up and rate the cookies and, the, and they were the same cookies but they rated the cookies as about 9 out of 10. <laughs> so they were, they were much more attracted to them. They, they rated them much higher because they were in short supply. And as a soloist, you want to make sure that you know that your readers, your um, uh, your buyers, don't think that you're just oh you've got all the time in the world to mm. deal with their problems. And like you said, it's the balance of not being too aloof, but also not being just seeming like you're a doormat that they can just you know wipe their feet on. Mm. I was reading in your forums the other day about how much you know how to get respect uh, from your readers, mm. so that they're valuing you and not just thinking it's all about them. That's a great. I, I must. You uh, reminded me of something that someone told me years ago, and it must have come from um, Cialdini without me even realizing it. And uh, it was a tactic that I that I used in my in my coaching business a number of years ago, which was that rather than saying, "Hey, I'm looking for clients. I'm looking for clients," mm. I'd be I'd say, "I'm looking for two clients, two nice. people who are in this situation with these issues, these challenges." Yes. If I was very specific and made it sound like there's very little opening, like yeah. only two people, that it, is excellent. It always were. It was astonishing. Fantastic. Astonishing. Fantastic. So you're thinking about as a soloist, you're thinking about scarce time, imposing deadlines on people, uh, or the offer ends 30 June or whatever, uh, scarce amounts, so there's only, as you say, only two clients, you, you, the openings that there are, and uh, you know maybe scarce information that you're offering information to your readers that is uh, actually, in, it, it's not public information, it's really quite uh, special, and, and they will mm. value that more, an exclusive members only offer or, or something. Um, yeah, and the idea uh, from real estate agents is smart as well. Uh, if you've ever bought a house from a real estate agent, very often when you're thinking about a certain house and they can tell that you're interested in it, they'll tell you that someone else is, is keen mm. on it too. And then you suddenly go, oh, really? I don't want to miss out. And the whole scarcity thing starts to work, unfortunately, against you. Yes, um, yes. That's why that's yeah. bringing up some very painful memories. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, look, talk, talking of scarcity, time is running a little scarce at this sure, moment. But let sure. me, let me, I'm going to, the final question I'm going to ask you, but let me just make clear to our listeners that, um, that the document that Paul's put together uh, is called Incognito Influence. Um, it's freely available to Flying Solo community members. Uh, and when you get to this page, Paul will also, knowing Paul, will also suggest some other things that you might like to do with his wonderful business. But pop along to Magneto, that's M-A-G-N-E-T-O, magneto.net.au forward slash flying solo, all one word. And there you'll be able to download the Incognito Influence PDF from Paul and uh, find out more about what he's up to. So thank you, Paul, for the, yeah, your generosity with that. Now, look, I'd like to close. As you know, this is our um, Flying Solo podcast. I'd like to close on a uh, maybe, I don't know how you're going to respond to this, whether it's a, a, a deeply personal response or whatever comes up. But what I'd like to know is who is talking about influence? Who has been the greatest influence on you and what did they teach you? Yeah, good question. I um, I actually think I think I'd really have to say two people. Um, my dad, when I was very young, uh, he had an exciting job. He was a pilot, <laughs> and often took us boys because we had six kids, um, five boys, 
flying with him and it was very exciting and so what it did was get me excited about being a pilot which I ended up just changing my mind on but it really got me focused on my schooling mm. my studies for a long time uh, which was great of course for my education um, mm. and then when I was a teenager I got involved for a while with an evangelical church and <laughs> the pastor was this young guy uh, full of fire and he was a really lovely guy uh, Chris Gabron um, and uh, uh, Gabo was um, you know really into uh, a lot of motivational stuff, Zig Ziglar, Norman Vincent Peale, Tony Robbins, and a lot of that stuff just still sticks with me today and, uh, you know, goals, determinations, self-belief, all that stuff. And what, what that whole Christian experience led me into was really uh, thinking about uh, persuasion on a bigger scale because, <laughs> you know, it was evangelical. We're trying to convert people all the time yeah. and, uh, and save them. Uh, so, you know, that was 25 years ago, but uh, still it led me into my degree in communications, so PR, journalism, advertising and persuasion and all that. And I'm still to this day interested in, you know, persuasion influence. And uh, in fact, I'm starting to do more keynotes and things around that. So it's it's really, they, they've been really big influences on me, you know, those two people. I Fantastic. Think. Well, they're two very, very different people, obviously. And I'm guessing also with your father, you know, being there in a plane with, you know, your your Brothers and sisters, that's right, isn't it? Boys and oh, girls. Oh, we generally didn't go together, but he'd oh, take okay. us one at, at different times, one at a time, yeah. <laughs> but I guess what you learn, because, you know, knowing you as, as I do, I know you, you to be extremely methodical and systematized. Mm. And there must be, you, you, some of that must have rubbed off from your dad with all yeah. the, knob, the knobs and the twiddles and the pre-flight Absolutely. checks and everything. Absolutely. It's, I still try to fight against that sometimes, but... <laughs> Um, you know, not being too anal, but yeah, he, he has you know heap of attention to detail, focus, persistence, and all that, mm. uh, and just trust in systems as well. You know, he was studying for some some uh, flying exam once, and uh, I, and he was trying to explain something to me, and, and I asked him about something else. I said, "Look, I don't quite understand it. All I know is that that's what has to happen, and and so we trust it and we do it." Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I think Gerber would probably like to hear that. Yes, uh, I think so. Look, I've got one more little little uh, bonus question for you. Yes. The, op the opposite of scarcity. Um, do you this whole topic of persuasion? You know, I'm thinking of people listening to this and you know accepting what you said at the beginning that you've got to use these things sensibly and you've got to use this you know ethically. ethically. Mm. Um, do you do you find that? I mean, can people use this too much to their detriment? Can it kind of take over the way they do things in your experience too much? Or what? what how do you get the sort of right balance? Do you think? I think, uh, as with many things, probably apply a bit of scarcity. Don't go too heavy-handed on anything mm. that we've talked about because it just it, people people are smart, of course, and they'll tweak to it and realise what you're doing. So do it very subtly, and uh, you know, and, and it's just. And always, always have the attitude, look, yes, I'm trying to influence them, but it's actually for their benefit. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a win-win here. So mm. I would say subtle, not don't go too heavy-handed yeah. on them. Okay. Yeah. Well, look, and, and I know you talk about that more as well in the, in the um, document that you're sharing with us. And I sure. believe if people want to um, talk with you about how you do things, they can contact you through your site as well. So, yeah, Paul, yeah. thank you very much for joining uh, the Flying Solo community today. And um, I wish Good you well for the rest of your day. Thank you. Good on you. Thanks, Robert. Thank you. See you later. Bye. And that's where we'll leave this show from Flying Solo. I'm Robert Gerrish, and we hope you'll join us next time. If you're looking to start a business or rejuvenate the one you're in, you'll find heaps of resources at flyingsolo.com.au and a supportive community on our forums and Facebook. Thanks for listening.